Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santos here, live from the lab. Your friendly pediatric infectious disease doctor and researcher. And this is Praz the Sandman using my magical fumes to put you to sleep over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to this mini-sode or carry-on edition of Travel Medicine and Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, or for listening to us long enough that I release this to the general public. Either we way, you. we appreciate your support. We love you guys so much. Seriously, pay for our stuff. Recently, or a long time ago, depending on when you're hearing this, we did an episode all about anesthesia, and we really glossed over what I'm sure one of the most exciting parts of anesthesia is to the general public, and that is, of course, Pros, would you care to hazard a guess? <laughs> hazard, because this is hazardous. Um, <laughs> it was probably the use of um, chloroform. Yeah, chloroform. How are we not going to talk about chloroform? We all know it. You know, you ask any person on the street, they know that what that medical compound is and what it does. Santosh, what's your favorite use of chloroform in the media? Uh, well, oh, I thought you were going to say in general. I actually... Or, okay, or in general. I mean, I'm not going to question your dating life. <laughs> so, I'm not judging here. No, so I actually use chloroform here in the laboratory because it makes an excellent solvent uh, for things like protein and lipids. When I'm trying to extract DNA out of a mixture that I've made, 
and uh, I just need the pure DNA to get away from everything else. One of the steps I use to clean up all of the excess organic material, including proteins, is chloroform. So that's how I use it. Um, but I always loved the very kind of meta joke of, hey, does this rag smell like chloroform to you? That was all. <laughs> Hold that on, was let me favorite. see. Yeah, yeah, exo wham, you know, down. Right, that's every good villain in the 80s had a couple of hench people supplied with chloroform, um, and even longer than that, to just gas somebody. I mean, it's one of those things that we all had a knowledge and possibly fear of as children, but never really panned out in our lives. Kind of like quicksand. Right, yeah. It's like, what yeah. happened? Who was that? That was uh, John Mulaney. I was scared crapless of shit, of, of, of quicksand. And where's all the quicksand? Nowhere. Yeah, just never really petered out. So I figured we would dedicate this mini-sode as a companion to our anesthesia episode in season three. And let's learn a little bit about the history of chloroform and why everybody knows about it. I mean, were there just really effective kidnappers? And if so, why aren't they still using this? You know, at what point did we all agree, like, nope, too dangerous, or, you know, why is this still a thing? Sure. So let's start with, you know, and, and feel free to chime in at any point, gentlemen, but we'll go back to the very beginning in, of course, my 1800s era Victorian oh, period. But, I thought we were going to go Paleolithic, but okay, we'll go Victorian. But, but we're going to America for Samuel Guthrie, an American chemist, first discovered chloroform in 1831 when he mixed alcohol with chlorinated lime. And he was looking for a more effective pesticide. Yeah, and that's what you do, is you add alcohol to chlorinated lime. What were these people thinking? Yeah, like... <laughs> you chlorinate some lime and then pour some alcohol. What? What? I was going to say, it sounds like part of the recipe for a pipe bomb in a way. <laughs> I, I was personally, when I learned about this, I was like, no. No, he wasn't. He was trying to find a new liquor. He was like vodka and, oh, chlorinated lime and alcohol. Okay. You know, yeah, the, only, the only reason I'm going to give him a pass yeah. is he, he did go on to win, I believe, a Nobel Prize in chemistry Absolutely. later. He so he probably... He probably did know what he was doing, and yeah. scientists like to party too. So let's just agree <laughs> to call it a pesticide <laughs> and, and go from there. Now, within, it, within months, yeah. two other chemists had made similar discoveries in France and Germany. So, you know, this was, this was a worldwide pesticide search, and the liquid came to be known as sweet whiskey which was ingested for its intoxicating effects as a nervous system depressant. And you know what? Maybe you're onto something here. That's <laughs> very sweet. Yeah. So, no, no. Well, so believe it or not, you know, you actually have, you have the ascorbic acid there. And, you know, if you, if you chlorinate it there from the lime, you're actually going to take that sour taste and, and change it to a little bit of a, a sweet taste in the, the bitter taste from the alcohol will actually get blunted and true to its name. And one reason why chloroform is quite dangerous to have around is little kids and animals, if they taste it, 
It tastes like a slightly... They just love it. Well, it is. Can't so get enough of it. And so <laughs> this this goes in another, you know, category of stuff that we have laying around, like ethylene glycol is another one that we talked about. Oh, which yeah. If you leave it in its regular state just lying around, it, it tastes a little bit sweet. It tastes a little bit sour. It's kind of yummy to drink. And then it makes you feel drunk it makes you feel fun so you can actually get poisoned this way if it's left out pretty easily right um now the agent after its discovery moved quickly from quote unquote pesticide sweet whiskey pesticide maybe they just (laughs) wanted to get the flies drunk man (laughs) farmers were hardcore no no i I chloroform will definitely kill your pests the problem is it's going to kill everything else (laughs) <laughs> well, this became part of the standard army supply table in 1849 and was actually used almost extensively and nearly exclusively in America during the Civil War. You know, of course, the old nickname for surgeons dating back to Civil War era America was sawbones. Yeah. And that was because that was quite literally what most of them did. So a surgeon was ranked by their speed is how fast how highly they were esteemed well now specifically with the number of strokes of the saw that it would take to get through the bone so a, a person who was rated really high could get through a femur in 3 or 4 zzz, zzz, rather than you know 6 or 7 or 8 wow yeah. And, you know, you might imagine there was a lot of screaming that took place with this. Ooh, um, and yeah. really, only with the introduction of anesthesiologists did surgeons become kind of a more respectable, quiet, sterile profession. So you guys, <laughs> kudos to you guys for keeping the surgeons in check. Yeah, it's true. Otherwise, they're just a bunch of bunch of animals. Yeah, it's true. It's still, it's still actually <laughs> in our Hippocratic Oath. You know, the original Hippocratic Oath says, I'm going to be a physician and I will not touch the arts of the butcher or the barber. I shall leave the cutting to the butcher and the barber. Huh. Yeah. So you really elevated the profession. Um, (laughs) That's right. But chloroform was, of course, the anesthetic of choice because it was easily inhaled, acted quickly, and was thus seen to be more efficient than ether. Um, Obviously, it also made you feel drunk. It made you feel a little bit forgetful. Well, given that more than 80,000 operations were performed during the Civil War, and only 254 were done without some kind of anesthetic. You can imagine that by the end of the Civil War, almost the entire American populace was at least familiar with chloroform as a household name, if not item. Right. Item? Huh, they had it in their own homes? Yeah, yeah. You'd... Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh. This was the American West, if you recall. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's what was happening over here on our side of the pond. But a brief hop, skip, and a jump, and we look again to after chloroform's discovery. When it was first debuted in 1847 in England by James Simpson. Now, we talked a little bit about him in our anesthesia episode, Proz. Do you recall? Oh, yeah. He was one of the early guys in modern anesthesia. He helped really start to popularize anesthesia over in uh, the United Kingdom. So he wanted to demonstrate to his colleagues and fellow peers in the medical profession just how safe and effective chloroform was. And certainly he had heard about its initial discovery 
and use over in the West. If you were to be, say, an outside observer at this gathering of medical professionals in Scotland, you might be a little suspicious. Some physicians were slumped unconscious in their seats. Others were staggering around, intoxicated, giggling, sniffing their handkerchiefs from rags they held close to their faces. (laughs) One guy, because there's always one guy, was hypervigilant, paranoid eyes, darting around for any sign of trouble, cowering in a corner. And Simpson is sitting there just thrilled. Big old smile on his face. Yeah, he was. (laughs) (laughs) For many reasons. Uh, You see, you know, there's part of it which is I want to help people and I want to take care of them. But I've got to say, when you have the physical ability to give something to someone else and alter their state of mind and you watch that happen right in front of you, you know, there, there's a reason why doctors are accused of having a God complex. This is a great example. <laughs> well, chloroform, Simpson was trying to say, would be a very useful anesthesia during painful procedures. And he was trying to demonstrate that a mere teaspoon dribbled into a handkerchief and inhaled would bring about a temporary and safe suffocation of the conscious mind. And everyone in attendance was like, mm, I don't know. And then he offered demonstrations, and that led to, well, what was documented the next day in the papers as a gathering of just intoxicated buffoons. <laughs> uh, but after he did demonstrate it, it became much more used in delivery room and was widely accepted in London and the British Empire after the birth of Queen Victoria's children in 1851 and 1853. Wow, okay. But initially, in the medical world, there was a feeling that chloroform was unwelcome during deliveries. A lot of doctors thought, you know, childbirth built character. Interestingly enough, like, part of the reason when we do epidurals, a big reason we do them is because it's since been proven that this pain is actually detrimental to the baby, like quite the opposite of what they once thought. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that to some degree, for the child to have contractions around the body, there definitely is development that's going on with the lungs, and you are, you know, to some degree, it's a good thing to help the baby expel amnion from the stomach and the mouth and the lungs but too much if mom is really stressed it just doesn't help when you feel pain your blood vessels constrict your blood pressure goes up that can um, actually limit blood flow to the baby to all of your concerns simpson was just nonchalant and carefree When confronted with a baby suffering from convulsions, he simply placed a chloroform-soaked rag to the child's face for sometimes up to 24 hours at a stretch. The convulsions stopped. (laughs) Not surprisingly. Not surprisingly at all. And at 10 weeks of intermittent chloroform soaking, the infant was reveling in the best of health. You know, I'll credit this to Simpson. He was an enthusiastic writer and a very, he believed very strongly in what he was doing. Yeah, to a point of being a little creepy. Little known fact, when Simpson achieved success, he was quoted as saying, Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>
quite the departure from the very measured eureka that Archimedes spit out. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that quote became known forever throughout history. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, another famous anesthesiologist we mentioned was, you know, epidemiologist, anesthesiologist, and king in the north, John Snow. Mm. Hail Snow. Now, for those of you confused at home, there was a true Dr. John Snow. That's who we're talking about. We're Game of Thrones fans too, but there will be no spoilers in what I'm about to say. <laughs> Oh, unless, John Snow unless you're reading the history of chloroform as an anesthetic. <laughs> well, John Snow, from his earliest days, insisted that chloroform could not be used on an unwilling subject. All right? One wonders how he came to this conclusion. Because, as we all know, from film and television... It's just a simple, you hold a rag over somebody's face, count to three, and they are out, right? Simple as that. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Well, Snow actually studied, and he noted that it takes minutes, not seconds, to take effect, which is plenty of time for a thrashing, uncooperative victim to frustrate his or her assailant. And in a few published cases, the would-be prey screamed and ran before they could be subdued. I'm guessing that he went through a lot of grad students. <laughs> you know how it goes, oh, huh? He's like, no, I, no, I want you to fight me off. Well, what happens if you gas me? Well, that's why I want you to fight me off. <laughs> I would have signed up for that study. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is the same nonsense. Oh, just when grad students were infected with stuff and they were exposed to radioactivity. I just, you know, grad students out there, kudos to all of you because... Things people do to pay their rent, man, I tell you. <laughs> or to get their degree. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, of course, you know, despite... So, again, even back in the 1840s, 1850s, we knew that chloroform wasn't a really effective kidnapping tool. You have enough time to struggle, to scream, to do whatever, unless you're vastly overpowered. However, this drug was known for making you forgetful, for being loopy. And this has to do a lot with its early toxicity in the Civil War. No one knew how to properly dose it, so everybody just eyeballed it on their own and would pour down more based on whether or not they particularly felt their patient was suffering or what they wanted to do. This led to a lot of toxicity issues. Right. Uh, but the whole public in general still thought, well, there's something you can pour into a rag and will make you unconscious or at least confused. So the earliest days, the journalists were not at fault, but people who would blame their bad behavior on chloroform. Yeah. If you were found in bad company, you would excuse it by saying you were chloroformed. Drinking to excess could be pardoned, at least in the eyes of certain law enforcement, by claiming you were an unwitting victim of the fumes, because nobody really understood entirely how it worked, and they were too fascinated with the romance of the idea. So it began to be linked to crime early on. Yeah, that's such a great way. You know, it's uh, it's like that whole thing. It's like, oh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just a jerk is a really bad excuse. But, you know, if, if you can blame it on, you know, a chemical intervention, absolutely. Yeah. And, and given that it was taboo to drink to excess, if someone else chloroformed you, oh, man, it wasn't my fault that I peed all over everything. 
You know, in all honesty, this could really be applied in today's society. Have a bad day at the company holiday party? Yeah. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I was just chloroformed. <laughs> I'm just realizing that everything that we're saying right now could be taken out of context and used against us if we ever ran for uh, public office. <laughs> I guess if you were going on an anti-chloroform platform. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go for an anti-chloroform platform for human use. I'll, I'll stick with now, this is, this is equivalent to what the closest thing we see today in the medical world would be maybe pseudo-seizures. When somebody, for one reason or another, has reason to fake a seizure. Right. And comes in and they try and act all confused after the fact. And they may be confused from intoxicants or disease or whatever. But it most certainly is not the confusion we see with seizures. So this would be a very similar thing where people would just be like, oh, this is a really handy excuse that can be used and was dangerous in its own right. Now, as this trend grew and as we get into the late 1870s, a growing number of, unfortunately, physicians and dentists began to endure frequent accusations of illicit behavior by drugged patients. Uh, This could be because they were charging unfairly. They could have been quacks. Um, Or the patient could just be trying to get out of paying a bill. So courts found it very difficult to determine fault or motive when one of the two eyewitnesses had been unconscious. Right. Uh, and I don't think we had any good assays to like find chloroform in your bloodstream, or or determine. That certainly not at the time. Absolutely not. So we couldn't even like assay for it, like a blood test. So by the 1870s, most medical professionals began to have a third person in the room as a corroborating witness, and this really led to the explosion in dental hygienists and orderlies, nurses, techs, like it was a real hiring thing because you needed sometimes somebody just to be present for anything that the person would be unconscious for. You know, um, as it um, turns out, I have to say, like, in my line of specialty, I've actually heard cases like this of um, doctors and other uh, healthcare professionals being accused of doing uh, various inappropriate behaviors accused by patients who are under anesthesia or recovering from anesthesia. And, um, like, in some cases, proper documentation helped clear the doctor's name, but other people weren't so lucky, and the patients actually seemed to really believe that what they think happened, happened. And that may have been the case sometimes, but um, it's crazy just to see how often this actually happens even today. Sure, sure. There's... And to be sure, a person who's under anesthesia, the memory recall is not good. It's really not good. And that does mean that the patient is extremely vulnerable um, and in a position, you know, certainly be compromised. But that also means that when they're coming out of anesthesia or going in or even in the middle of it, that genuinely it's not terribly reliable an account. So it is important to have those extra witnesses in the room to to talk about what happened. So now World War II, so, you know, we worked our way through the Victorians in World War I. World War II also saw pretty frequent use of chloroform for the same reasons it was great during the Civil War and World War I, because it's quick, it's portable, Um, It doesn't take a lot, but even though it had a very low rate of death, you know, maybe five cases out of every thousand, 
we did start to notice a lot of liver toxicity. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and you say five of a thousand, Josh, but we are still talking about an era where, you know, we have no antibiotics. We have no good way of taking care of like gangrenous limbs and stuff like that. And the surgery itself just from pain and shock could kill a person. So we might have been at a point where five of a thousand deaths was acceptable for a small amount of time. Well, that's what helped chloroform hang on through the 40s. But, you know, by the time we hit our modern advanced 20th century, chloroform is really just a fictional stereotype. You know, laboratory concocted sedatives like propofol or fentanyl became the norm. Airway support, of course, is mandatory. The idea of holding a handkerchief over someone's face until they passed out is frankly quaint. I mean, even now, think about when you're watching... NCIS or the latest shows, I'm sure what you're seeing is someone will be grabbed off the street in like a the standard nondescript painter's van and they'll have a syringe injected into them or they'll have a small spray or something else. But no one's holding that handkerchief. That ended with the A-team, I'm afraid. <laughs> An interesting thought on that. When we're doing an anesthesia for children, the norm is typically... That's adorable! I'm just thinking of they're so tiny. How do they, they are. fit the masks in their hands? Uh, right? <laughs> they're teeny tiny masks, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably, of course, you're referring to anesthesia on children. No, no. Yes. Um, and not <laughs> anesthesia <laughs> performed <laughs> by children. Like little baby yes. <laughs> so now, dude, tell us more about anesthesia for children. Sounds okay. like a so, great day out. All right. So most adults, the norm is... Um, we give them an IV, and we give medicine through that IV to put them to sleep and then keep them anesthetized with gas. Now, for kids, um, most kids aren't very cooperative when attempting to stick a needle into their hand or arm, um, surprisingly. <laughs> but, um, but so the way we typically get around that is we do what's called a mask induction, which isn't all that different from a handkerchief full of chloroform. Sure, sure. We basically take the mask, put it over their face, and crank up the gas really, really, really high <laughs> until they <laughs> breathe it all in and they stop moving. Now, but we should clarify here, Praz, that you're using a much higher flow of gas than we're talking about that you can get out of, like, chloroform soaked into a rag so the flow the flow of air and the percentage of that which is your anesthetic is much much different i mean it's like an ice bucket challenge right. worth of worth yeah, of gas it's like every here's yeah. everything at, you know and it, you don't mm -hmm. so you don't maintain that flow you just you have a big peak and then once they're out then you back off on it i guess it's a little bit different than Involuntarily um, knocking someone out. I like that you didn't. I like that you didn't want to give that up. Though you're like, no, let me hold on to the idea of just forcing a rag over somebody's face until they're just quiet. And how's your stress life these days? Yeah. <laughs> you getting enough sleep? Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, we should mention that Dr. Praz, uh, you know, even if you wanted to try. Chloroform is very difficult to get your hands on. It's not one of these things which is... Uh, now, you can order it from chemical companies and that kind of thing, but the company will verify that you are part of an institution which has safety standards and that kind of thing 
before you get it, because we don't use it on human beings anymore. We use it as a chemical reagent. So this is not one of those things where you could like walk into a local drugstore and pick up a vial of chloroform. If you were, however, some costumed supervillain and you had some savvy hench people, you could probably figure out a way to get your hands on it to, I don't know, kidnap the hero's girlfriend. But be aware, (laughs) she's going to have time to put up a struggle. So if you've learned nothing else... This is why we still associate chloroform with crime, because we just like the idea of a quick portable gas and the delicacy of a handkerchief. We all pine for the old days and classier times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The classier days. Nothing so classy like a handkerchief full of chloroform. So elegant. (laughs) So refined. Before we close it completely... By the way, guys, chloroform is everywhere in nature. It's kind of a byproduct of quite a few biological uh, processes. So seaweed, for instance, just makes chloroform in trace amounts. So I don't want you guys to freak out and be like, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it is everywhere in trace amounts, and in trace amounts, it's really not going to it takes many chloroforms, <laughs> but not all of them are deadly. <laughs> I wish we had a better just the tip. You know, no, I changed my mind. I do have just the tip. Yeah. I've been to Edinburgh, Scotland. Okay, all right. And they have, well, it's a small town, but one of the great things they love is a good ghost story. And they offer not one, not two, but three different haunted tours of the city where they'll take you through old prisons and neighborhoods. There are neighborhoods built underneath neighborhoods in this little cavern-like, almost dwarvish town. That's how much the town built up on top of itself. And it was one of the first cities to have skyscrapers back in an age of pre-construction. So three stories. Granted, you know, expectations were lower. (laughs) Expectations yeah. were lower, but in a time when everybody lived in single, single-floor dwellings, to realize you could save space by building up instead of out was quite the architectural novelty. Yes. So go on a ghost tour and see the underground cities of Edinburgh. And you might even see a ghost if you sniff enough. <laughs> <laughs> or at least old man Jenkins, who would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those... Damn kids and their meddling dog. <laughs> okay, All right, well, folks. <laughs> As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. (laughs) Me help. (laughs) With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories. Thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. Happy travels. Happy travels. Have 
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.